Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to Rabbit Hole for sponsoring On the Other Side. Rabbit Hole is allowing users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. So the longer-term vision for Rabbit Hole is building essentially the open credentialing system for Web3. To build that credentialing system, it's important that they're decentralized. And the Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in learning more about Rabbit Hole, check out Rabbit Hole at rabbithole.gg. You can also check them out on Twitter, rabbithole underscore gg. All right, let's hop into the show. I am so excited for this episode. We are talking forkability and evolution of systems with Aditi from Celestia. We're also doing a broad strokes overview of what Celestia is. Just a quick note, this episode is definitely a little bit more technical than usual. I think it's really important to keep up on some of the innovations happening in the space from a technical perspective, because often they're linked to the human implications of this stuff. So this episode is a really fun balance between technical and abstract human stuff. That being said, I know some of this can be confusing. Aditi does a great job making it accessible, but if you want to dig in deeper to Celestia and how it works, I've linked some resources in the show notes to go check out. All right. I hope you enjoy the show. I am here with Aditi from Celestia. Aditi, I am so excited to chat today. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I cannot wait to dive into forking and Celestia and all of the things. But before we do that, do you want to give a little bit of background on you and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole? For sure. So I, as a child, didn't have a lot of clarity on what I wanted to be when I grew up and found myself in crypto because I had just told myself that, all right, my backup is like finance, like whatever, let's just go with that. And I chanced upon a crypto conference in DC that was, of course, finance related, but lo and behold, I see like Metallic is up at the front of the room and totally has the attention and eyes of all these like serious bankers, like people that I thought were really leading the industry at the time. And so naturally I was like, whoa, these bankers are listening to like a child essentially who is (laughs) is, like really making a lot of sense. And so I was very struck by that moment and just researched Vitalik, researched like how to get involved and basically like started doing unpaid work for the reg tech firm that was hosting the conference. And then of course, found my way to consensus where I was like, okay, I'm more interested in building product. And I've since held product roles in crypto and outside of crypto, thanks to the bear market. And uh, yeah, now I'm happily at Celestia thinking about how to how to pivot the project forward strategically. And so here I am. I am super excited to talk not only about Celestia, but some of the more human implications of something like Celestia. Before we dive into it, do you want to give the 
explain it like I'm five, maybe 10. I don't know. I feel like it's, I tried to dive into <laughs> Celestia and I'm like, I don't know how much I understand, but I try my best. But do you want to give the broad strokes overview on what Celestia is? Absolutely. And I want you to stop me at any point if you're like, wait, 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 that doesn't make sense. Uh, But I want to make sure this is accessible to to everyone listening. So Celestia is the first modular blockchain network. Blockchains are typically responsible for both this thing called consensus and this thing called execution. Consensus is this mechanism that achieves agreement on data in a chain, which is really useful for establishing this like canonical record of history, right? And execution is smart contract logic that is automatically executed when predetermined conditions are met. And so those are typically things blockchains do. Celestia says we're going to decouple those two things so that the Celestia consensus layer is only responsible for ordering transactions and guaranteeing their data availability. And rather than having that execution layer also baked into the consensus layer, the decoupling piece comes in where execution happens in these things called rollups, where developers can define their distinct execution environments, and it essentially allows for better scaling and more freedom on the builder side of things. Now, what is a rollup? A rollup is an off-chain scaling mechanism where transactions are executed outside of that base chain, and then the data is rolled up or like posted to the L1 where consensus on those transactions is reached. And so that's the elevator pitch of Celestia, helping the scaling mission by being this first modular blockchain network and separating kind of the two things blockchains do, consensus and execution. Okay, I have a really weird analogy that I want to throw your way and see if this makes sense. So someone was explaining Celestia to me and they were saying basically like, Celestia doesn't care about validation of the data. They just want to make sure that it exists. And I was thinking to myself, it kind of reminds me of like, I'm a teacher and I I have a quiz. I have a certain idea of what the correct answers are. Someone else, you know, you might have someone else have a different idea of what the correct answers are. But what matters is that we have the answers that like the students give, and then we can each validate that differently. How far off is Mm. that? (laughs) (laughs) No, I like that. I like that analogy. It's on the ground. It's very like tangible. Celestia treats like all transactions equally, right? So like Celestia does not reason to your point about the validity of transactions or execute on them. So like, I guess in this example, there's a quiz that a child fills out with answers, but the teacher just says, okay, you did the thing good job. Celestia is meant to be built as flexibly as possible. So to your point, there's no like right or wrong answer on what is filled out in the quiz. It's just, oh, it's there. Thumbs up. Now, would every teacher's version of truth, let's say, be the equivalent of a roll up? Like they're putting Mm. it in their grade book, they're grading it. That's their validation sort of layer. So to your point, the Rollups are where you can define execution environments and like specific logic on those transactions that were ordered. So in that rollup where you've defined like do certain logic on a certain set of transactions, 
That is where there's a right or wrong answer, essentially. The consensus layer actually doesn't reason on any sort of like legitimacy of the transactions. It's just, it's there and, and that's it. And so, yes, I think your example actually makes sense. Like the roll-ups are where there's rules, air quotes. Okay, cool. So every roll-up could potentially have their own version of the truth or their own logic would be the better way to put it. Yes. So yeah, exactly to your point, like it's just meant to be as rule-less as possible in order to enable fancier things to be built on top of it. And then the reason for that would basically be like, it helps all of this stuff scale much easier. Is that the sort of core functionality? So in order to answer this question better, we should take a step back a little bit. So we all know that it's super important to find solutions that will handle the constantly increasing transactions per second on blockchains and as a result, provide cheaper and faster transactions. We know that as crypto becomes more mainstream, like scaling is a core priority of of the ecosystem. And so a lot of chains that are not Ethereum and like alternate L1s will boast this metric called transactions per second. So a lot of these chains will say, hey, we have really high transaction per second. But the innovation there in, in these alternate L1s that have high TPS is actually super limited because everyone is scaling blockchains in the same way. Solana is this most optimized you know, L1, and they can do, I believe it's 2,500 maybe transactions per second. I might be off, but that was what I saw on Solana Beach like the last time I looked. Um, And that's super impressive, by the way. But if you compare it to Web2, it's actually still quite slow. And so, yes, because we all love blockchain, developers are moving from Ethereum to new L1s because of this like scalability issue. But the reality is, as all these alternate L1s grow in usage, because they're all built in the same way, block space quickly gets filled and the user experience plummets. And again, This is because the scaling is all optimized around this common goal of increasing transactions per second. And there are three ways L1s do that, that you can like basically optimize your execution environments, have better or more efficient like consensus algorithms. I won't get into that, but it's all great. And I think some teams have really been killing it. But the issue is that in order for these platforms to continue scaling, they all have to resort to increasing hardware requirements in order to get this small growth in TPS. And so Celestia actually represents this huge paradigm shift in blockchains and scaling as a whole, because we're scaling in such a different way by decoupling these two things. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. Like when I start to think more about what's quite different, I I am like, of course, trying to fit into my quiz analogy. And I'm like, maybe this is where this breaks (laughs) completely. But I think that makes a lot of sense. And I know this element of forkability is a really interesting piece here from the human perspective of all of this. Maybe bridging that gap, when you think about how Celestia enables forking in a much more sort of fluid way, is it that you have roll-ups that now anyone can essentially spin up and have their own version of? Is that sort of the reason that forkability on Celestia is just much easier? Hmm. So... Again, I'm going to do the thing where I take a couple steps back. I referenced this on the Rabbit Hole podcast. Basically, DAOs on Ethereum currently behold users to Ethereum's state machine. Like, what does that mean, right? 
we're all in crypto because we all inherently believe that blockchains are these like social coordination mechanisms and allow people to make decisions in more democratic ways. We've all established that there's problems with how we organize, blah, blah, blah. But part of that ethos is having this core belief that you should be able to move away from the community you're currently a part of and start something completely new. That's a core tenet of self-organizing. So like a la something like, I'm just tethering this back to, to like a real world example, something like Ethereum Classic or Bitcoin Cash. And the reason why this is cool is because it creates a sense of social equals, which means that we all inherently believe that because we're on blockchain, we have this right to sovereignly govern the communities we're a part of. And if we want to leave, we can leave. If we want to stay, we could stay, whatever. The thing is, if you have a DAO on Ethereum, it's incredibly difficult to fork that DAO and start your own thing. And the reality is because it's become this like canonical blockchain and has so much volume and all of that, it's just very hard to socially coordinate on that. And the belief is that with your own chain, and your own community, you should have the ability to hard fork whenever you want to. But in order to do that, you need to allow people to create and own their own execution environments, which is what Celestia does. And so whenever I say execution environments, I mean like execution environments in rollups. And so you're accurate in that that's where this like forking piece comes in. You have this like self-sovereign right to create your own community that can fork or upgrade or whatever, whenever it wants, because you can fully control it. And what I really love about this thought process around forking is I feel like crypto as a whole is forking existing systems and exiting those systems where, you know, Bitcoin is an exit from the traditional financial system. Ethereum is an exit from a whole lot of things. Like it feels like being in crypto, even being in a DAO is sort of exiting from this old way of work. And so I love this idea of making forking something that's like very plausible. I'm curious what you think some of the implications of that are. I mean, and like even the value of forking more broadly, like why do we do it and why does it matter? Yeah, we started in crypto because we wanted to like fork away from the norm, right? There's this, I don't know, people always say like, keep tech weird or keep things weird. It's like, yeah, keep things weird because we have the freedom to like make different decisions and move flexibly to the next thing. And so the implications of this that I think about a lot is to your point, we've been doing this for a long time. If you look at the history of religion, art, science, evolution, forking has been consistently like a macro trend in, in all those various facets of life. In evolution, there's always been iterative changes to certain species that have allowed for current species, for our current species to exist today. And granted, there's probably still improvements that, that humans need like why do we have a tailbone god knows why but like <laughs> those you can trace trace like humanity back to what homo sapiens and like neanderthals i don't know like history my history class is like failing me right now but whatever <laughs> those iterations had good things about them and evolution we were able to like iterate on that and come to the version of the species we have today and so i think a good way to think about it is those species existed before us but they, you know, air quotes, failed and died. But what that allowed for is mass experimentation. I think a lot about this Picasso quote, which I tweeted about today, good artists borrow, great artists steal. And if you think about some of the greatest inventions in history today, 
all those inventions actually stand on the shoulders of giants, of mass bodies of work that have already been done and allowed for these inventors to like take the idea, change it a little and run with it. And like that was perfection. And so science, medicine, architecture, like these are all very normal fields that are based off of people forking from the norm and thinking iteratively. And Celestia, by way of owning your own execution environments, which is like a very technical concept, it actually enables the freedom of choice, which is exactly what allows for macro experimentation. And so the beauty is not in your fork being perfect or right. It's just the ability to do so that is beautiful in itself. And I'm happy to go on my little diatribe about that, but that's where I think that the implication really sits. Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like there's a lot of informal forking happening in the ecosystem today. And maybe forking isn't even the right word in the way that I'm thinking about it, but taking patterns that other people are using and experimenting with them and iterating on them in their own way. And to me, that means everything from taking how Index does onboarding in their DAO and porting it over to your own to Olympus Forks, which brought about a whole ordeal of different DeFi paradigms. And so it's kind of interesting because in Web2, I think when you steal something that someone else does, we call it stealing. And in Web3, we call it forking. And I kind of wonder if there's something unique about Web3 that makes it that way, if it's like a cultural thing. I'm curious how you think about that. The fat protocol thesis. Have you read about it? A super long time ago, but would love to have you do a rundown of it. Yeah, I'm going to butcher it, but basically it's, and I forget who talked about it first, but actually have heard Brandon at the graph really talk about this well, but the fat protocol thesis is the idea of protocols is to bake in like a lot of your feature set and like the stack in the protocol itself so that people can fork and make changes to it on top of it. Think about all the different like Jira, Asana, like product management tools you can think of. All of those projects have very similar tech stacks. There's a similar way of thinking about servers and like the front end and whatever. And the reality is there's a lot of different product management tools, but the the differentiation point is actually just the front end because the tech stack is like the same. And so mm. the frat pro- the the frat protocol thesis, the fat <laughs> protocol thesis is that you just bake in all of that work into the protocol and so people can differentiate in more meaningful ways. And I think that's where forking comes from versus like stealing because there's also this underlying culture of everything being open source in Web3. I think that's also something that contributes to to this attitude. That's really interesting. So it's kind of like if you are iterating on a fat protocol as opposed to something that's a thin layer on top of something else – then you're actually like effectively almost creating value in like this positive some way as opposed to sort of making a few tweaks to your UI and effectively just copying someone else. Exactly. So like value, like basically work doesn't need to be repeated once it's baked into the protocol. It's there. You can take it and run with it. You can make changes, whatever. The thing is with other Web2 companies, so much work has to be repeated. Like if you compare Jira and Trello, 
the bottom part of their tech stack is like probably the same. And the reality is if Jira existed before Trello did, Jira did all the bottoms up work of building their tech stack. And like Trello probably had to waste time like copying that that bottom part of their tech stack and then differentiating on the UI part. And so like with the FAT protocol thesis, teams will take time to do the work to actually build the protocol so that changes can be made, people can fork, like people can take with it and run with it, whatever implemented in different languages. That's kind of the thinking I have on why there might be this ethos of stealing versus forking. So I have a question for you that I'm very curious if you have a strong opinion on. In this world, is it ever possible for anything to have a moat? Hmm. Talk to me more about that. So when I think about the ability to fork anything, my mind immediately goes to Web2 companies. And maybe the problem is that this is like a paradigm that we're absorbing from Web2 that's not useful. I'm always like trying to differentiate between Web2 and Web3 paradigms and what's the same and what's different. And I know something that people have some strong opinions on is basically whether or not you can ever have a moat in Web3 where you do have everything being forkable. If you can build something that I can just go and copy, is the culture around, let's say, my DAO the moat? Even when we think about – and of course, there are different kinds of forking. Like the original Ethereum fork was not really intended to be this competitor so much as it was – we're going to be fucked if the hacker has all of this ETH, we need to fork um, versus you creating a project that I decide to fork. But I'm curious how you think about something like moats in this context where everything is copyable. And part of the reason I also think about it is like in the Jira Trello example, the moat is maybe having built the product, but then if someone's able to really quickly copy it, what other moats are there? Yeah. So I think this gets to my like next strong point of emergent order but tying this back to your like moat question i would see it as like the beauty of crypto like the fact that the protocol layer can create and capture more value than applications on top is really interesting i don't know what the moat could be in this situation because i think i just view it very differently than other people do like i think that the fact that there is the ability for emergent order in a world like this is actually exciting. So like emergent order is this econ concept that stuck with me a lot from school. It's this concept which was originally rooted in the price system, but it's known as self-organization in the situation of seeming chaos. So like having spontaneous emergence of order in a world where entropy is this like cardinal truth. And so that I actually think the ability to move flexibly between choices and fork and create whatever the hell you want to create actually gives way for this concept of emergent order, which I can talk to at more length. So I actually don't think it's it's the moat. It's so interesting too, because I definitely want to dive into the emergent order piece, but I think it's totally related in the sense that if you think about like nature as having emergent order. And if you think about the whole ecosystem as being in some ways similar to nature, we don't look at a certain species of frog and ask what its moat is. Like that would be so strange. And it's almost that force that allows for it. Yeah, exactly. So I don't even see it as like having a moat because 
emergent order is think about like the iPhone, Wikipedia, the formation of startups and like the dinner you had last night. Those are all examples of spontaneous order getting created out of what we all thought was chaos. And so in my mind, the, the bold claim here is that the majority of work gets done outside the traditional chain of command. In other words, people self-organize and achieve mutual goals. And so if you look at social networks within organizations, you'll actually find that it may look very different from the org chart of, oh, who's reporting to whatever. And so this matters because work and communities are inherently social. With this life force of emergent order, where like this exists everywhere from like my dinner to the iPhone, whatever, this life force of emergent order should enable social layers, which in my perspective is the real L0, to dictate how technology works, grows, and scales. And so this goes back to my original point that like, it's not about what is perfect, like what species of frog emerged as the perfect one to like last the zombie apocalypse. It's actually the fact that there was the ability to have multiple species and there was scope for experimentation. That's the beauty of it. And I don't think that's a moat in any way. Yeah, it's cool because it ultimately becomes this very positive sum force in the same way that competition is, where when you like zoom in really closely, yes, there's going to be death of certain iterations. Some iterations are going to be more successful than others, depending on what your factors for success are defined as. But ultimately, by having that evolutionary capability, you really do create this positive sum outcome. And maybe in the same way that like, when I think about how we organize as humans, I think oftentimes economics is one of the best ways for us to figure shit out. Like we allocate resources and very complex systems. We know that small groups of people are very bad at doing that. But when you have this like decentralized individual human deciding whether or not to buy a carton of milk at $2, you actually end up with this like emergent price of milk, for example. And so it's kind of interesting because out of that system, we might, if we have something like Forkability, effectively be able to build communities that can now emerge as opposed to just like prices, which kind of adds a whole new value of what can emerge. Yeah, exactly. And I know emergent order is like a price discovery concept, but it's actually also used a lot in political economics. And so that's why it's highly salient to Celestia, which to your point is this like first blockchain with only positive network effects. And, and it's like positive sum in that it will never face the same kind of scaling issues that a lot of these air quotes, like new alternate blockchains will face. Like I mentioned in the beginning, those blockchains all swarm around this common goal of increasing transactions per second. Celestia doesn't do that. The way it does scaling and the decoupling is completely different so that you don't have to worry about negative network effects. Oh, I now see your point about the fact that the frog existed in the first place because Celestia is effectively that. It's like, here's what, it's almost like a, gosh, I'm I'm really struggling to think about analogies, but that's how my brain works. Yeah. I like that you're trying to draw an analogy and and honestly, if you come up with a good one, let me know. Like the teacher (laughs) one is actually pretty good. I'm going to use that, but Look, like even with Ethereum, like I think people struggle to to get that analogy in the beginning. Like what really stuck was like, oh, it's this digital world computer. And people were like, ah, 
got it. But still, there wasn't really a good analogy that people could drive towards versus like Bitcoin had the store of value analogy that made sense. And so I think with any net new technology, there's going to be this issue of what's the analogy we can tie this back to. And unfortunately, like the way to do it is these long form conversations that draw parallels with with tangible things that people understand. But yeah, that's how I think about the value proposition of Celestia outside of just the pure innovation of the technical elements of it, of what's going on with Celestia specifically. Like we didn't talk about it on, on this, but like there's so many net new innovations going on at Celestia that are technical. But outside of that, the implications, I think, are really what is so beautiful. Yeah. And I'll definitely link the down the rabbit hole podcast too, because I feel like you did a really good job explaining everything that's going on from that perspective on that podcast. Another thing that I am just like curious about, and I know this is not an easy question, but what do you imagine the future of Web3 looking like with something like Celestia, where you have all of this forkability like 10 years from now? Yeah. So I actually will also ask that you link to Mustafa's clusters blog post when you put this out, because he does a phenomenal job of explaining this. And for me to explain it would be a disservice to his vision. So (laughs) I'm going to keep it simple and say that the way I see it is like saying DAOs today are really sovereign communities is completely false without something like Celestia. Celestia can actually enable these clusters or zones of people self-governing purely via the ability that it has to give people self-organizing capabilities. And so I think there's a future state where we have all these clusters, they're connected via trust-minimized bridges, but that is really the future that I see. And I don't see all of those zones or clusters you know, succeeding. Again, I don't think it's about perfection. I don't think it's about, hey, this this cluster got it right. It's more so that you have the ability to do so and you have the freedom to do so without having to worry about some of the operational BS that people currently have to worry about. So like for context, developers today have to worry about an overhead of consensus or like expensive deployment or operational fees. Building your stuff on Celestia basically allows you to avoid any of that hassle. And so I really do see the future being this like cluster zone kind of centric vision of shared communities that can intercommunicate with each other. Something that kind of comes to mind for me when I think about this is recently we've had, I think this trend towards DAOs building these almost cultural currencies FWB being a really interesting one. I think Forefront has experimented with this in some ways where it's almost like you're building this town, you know, and you have a a currency that everyone in the town takes and you end up having a lot of these digital spaces exist within your own town. Do you see, and I know the technical implementation of some of these pieces is definitely still probably like up in the air, but I'm curious, do you see each of those DAOs or cultural currencies as effectively having their own sovereign instance of like a validation layer? Is that kind of where you think this could go? So for context, Celestia, we're planning to to hit testnet relatively soon. 
we'll have an incentivized test net sometime between Q2, Q3, and then we want to hit mainnet by end of year. Our current go-to-markets are obviously not DAO-focused right now. They're focused on basically helping bootstrap like developers and, and having them come build value on the protocol. Um, a la EVM compatible rollups, sovereign rollups, and one of our core go to markets is called Celestiums, which is just a Celestia to Ethereum bridge. Now, I think Celestia can enable DAOs to have their own sovereign experience via rollups. The question there is like, is that implementing that DAO's on chain governance on Celestia or like the DAO's full? contracts on Celestia. I think those are questions that we'll likely get um, clarity on as testnet, incentivized testnet rolls out. And if you're a DAO that is looking to build on Celestia, I'd definitely be interested in what exactly you do on chain and how we could help. But that's the vision. Like technically any application that wants to build on Celestia can build on Celestia via having its own custom kind of execution environment within a rollup and it can fork, upgrade, do whatever it needs to do without having to worry about getting consensus from anyone else outside of the people in that community. And so the exactly how DAO question is still up for grabs. I think we haven't scoped that out internally yet. And quite frankly, because testnet and incentivized testnet are coming out, it's uh, not a huge uh, thing we're thinking about right now. But the implications of this social consensus point, the way we're scaling and the way our architecture works, basically because we decoupled consensus and execution and our modular, is really what is the beauty of having cultural communities with distinct cultural flavors to them on something as modular as Celestia. I really love that. The more that I dive into governance and really hands-on building DAOs, the more I realize that anything that's monolithic or where you're applying a set of rules to a large variety of groups is usually bound to be a problem. (laughs) Because you just never end up having these like universal rules that fit perfectly. And so this notion of being able to have a more curated group of people who decide on logic or gather consensus among themselves as opposed to requiring everyone in the world to agree feels like a really powerful way to approach a lot of this stuff on both the social and technical sort of layers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Celestia wouldn't be a thing without open source forking culture, right? Like we talked about, this is the result of great minds like Mustafa and John Adler, Ismail, like all these core people, they quite thinking about these problems and using the inspiration from the community on what is not working, what is working how things can be implemented better. And so think of Celestia as like rethinking the way blockchains should work. Um, Still doing all the core things that blockchain does. So like none of that has changed. Like the functionality has not changed. But just representing this massive paradigm shift in how we should be thinking about these digital communities. And that's why I think it's really beautiful. I absolutely love that. This has been a really interesting conversation and I appreciate you making it 
easier to understand and more accessible. Before we wrap up, I have a segment at the end of the show, which is what is your favorite thing in your wallet? It could be an NFT, an ERC20, anything, but what is your favorite thing in your wallet? Damn, you really hit me with that. Um, (laughs) I like my Astro Girls. I have three. I like my Crypto Coven. Let me, I have to like look at my wallet. What the hell do I have? Oh, you know what? No, I take all of that back. My (laughs) go-to NFT is a Goop Troop. I have like nine of them. (laughs) I also, it's like my go-to NFT to gift. It is so cute. Everyone always thinks it's a noun. No, it's not a noun. It's a fucking Goop Troop. And (laughs) they're super cute. And yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan. I gave one to my mom, like my dad. It's just my go-to NFT for holding and also for gifting. So my group troop. We love that. DT, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and learn more about you and Celestia? Yeah. So for Celestia, the website is celestia.org. Best place to go. Also, our Twitter account has been popping off these days. Creds to our marketing team. And so that's uh, celestia.org is the Twitter handle. And then my handle is Adit's underscore 22. I have all my personal information on there. So if anyone wants to chat more, can hit me up there. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for chatting and explaining Celestia. This was so fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.